For the remainder of this month, we are continuing to look at parables from the Gospel of Luke. Today we find ourselves in Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning at the 12th verse. And if you're with us this morning and able, I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's Word as we look at Luke 14, 12 through 24. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be paid, repaid when the just are resurrected. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remark, he said to Jesus, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Jesus replied, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servants to tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to go check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, master, your instructions have been followed, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, go to the highways and back alleys, and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will taste my dinner. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think it was almost uh, exactly 24 years ago, because um, it was in the fall, right around the beginning of school, I was in my third year of teaching at uh, NNU's sister school in Bethany, Oklahoma, at Southern Nazarene University. And that year, I was still teaching at the university, but had taken on, kind of like Pastor Grant here, had taken on the role of being the, the college minister at uh, the church right across the street from the university. And we decided to kind of go all out on that first Sunday. And so we had told students that, you know, that that day when everybody comes and everybody tries to encourage them to come get their hair cut from them or come, come bank with them. Uh, we had encouraged them, come that first Sunday, we're going to have breakfast, we're going to have our own college service, it's going to be great. Well, we really didn't know how, what, how many people to expect. It was kind of a, a new thing for the church at that time. And, and so we, we planned on, we thought we'll probably have around 80, so let's plan breakfast for about 100. And and we had also decided we would end the service that morning around the table like we will with the Lord's Supper. And so we'd planned communion for about 100 and breakfast for about 100. And about 130 or 140 showed up. And so immediately we were doing breakfast first, so we panicked, right? And I remember Debbie and a bunch of volunteers, they were just panicking, right? They were telling the kids who we knew were spiritual, don't eat everything, right? Uh, don't, eat, don't eat so much. You're like, put that back. Um, but, and other volunteers were you know, drag racing to the local donut shops and headed back to the grocery store and buying more stuff. And so we were feeding out everything. And, and we finally got through breakfast and everybody got fed. Everything was fine. But then um, 
But we were so worried about breakfast, we forgot we had underplanned for communion as well. And so we got towards the end of the service, and I see the light kind of dawn on Debbie that, oh my word, we only have a communion for about 100. And so <laughs> she and some other volunteers go running throughout the church, and the church had two or three kitchens, and they're going through kitchens, and finally they found some saltines. And so I see them in the back while I'm doing my message, breaking saltines up and trying to get them in various places. But they had searched the whole church, and they could not find grape juice anywhere, right? And so they were throwing some cups together, and I'm just getting to the end of my message and about ready to open the table when I hear some pop cans go, psh, 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 like that in the back. And, you know, Brenda, I've been to seminary, right, Danny? Like, I've been to seminary. I realized something horribly unholy is about to happen here. <laughs> I was assuming they were going to get the right color, but so, so Diet Coke or, you know, in Oklahoma, probably Dr. Pepper was about to be, become the blood of Christ. And so, uh, so I said, oh, wait, 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 time out before we go to the Lord's table as, as we are served this morning, uh, before, <laughs> before we do something really sacrilegious, I need you to look in your cup and if there's more than a swallow that you have in that cup, there's about 40 people in the back who don't have any. Would you just turn around and just share a little bit of your communion with them, right? <laughs> And, and really, a miracle happened. It was the closest thing I've ever had to the feeding of the 5,000, frankly, in my ministry. Like, a miracle happened that day. And, and all were fed breakfast, and all came to the Lord's table, and, and all were supplied. It was, it was a great day. But, but this morning, the parable invites us to kind of imagine the other extreme. Imagine that you have sent out invitations, and, uh, and all the RSVPs have come back. And you know that you're going to have a great crowd, a great multitude. But then the parable invites us to imagine that you've prepared everything. You cleaned the house, you, you made everything, it's going to be a spectacular party. But then all of a sudden, when you send the messenger out to proclaim, the party is ready. Come on, it's time to come. That all of those people who RSVP'd that they would come, all of a sudden have all these excuses and don't come. And so here you are, the host of this great feast, but nobody comes. In some ways, it's easy for us to imagine this parable kind of transcend, you know, translated into first century culture, or 21st century culture. Uh, we have a wedding coming up in our family in a few months, and Jonah and Perry are in that stage of gathering all the names together to send out invitations for the party, and and they're sending them with cards attached saying, please RSVP, because I don't know if you've had a wedding lately, but they're, they're pricey, right? By the way, this is my last chance to be the father of the groom. The next one, I'm going to be the father of the bride. Oh, Lord, help us. But, uh, right? Like, it's for, these are pricey affairs, so don't say you're coming and then not come, all right? Because it's expensive. And so it's easy for us to kind of understand, but especially in a first century world where you take all those RSVPs, you figure out how many are coming because that's going to determine what you're going to cook. In a first century world without refrigeration and doggy bags, you, you've got to figure out, are we going to go with sheep, goats, a couple of cows here? And once that deed is done, once they have been, once they have been slaughtered and cooked, you eat them or, or it goes bad. And so we're invited to imagine this host that has put together this magnific magnificent feast, but all of those folks who said they were going to come don't. It's also 
in some ways, an easy parable for us to imagine in the light of the gospel. Last week, we looked at a really difficult parable. But this one's not quite as hard. It's easy to imagine that Jesus sees himself, or at least sees God the Father, as the host that has brought together this kingdom feast, and it is now time to come and participate. Christ is the one announcing the table is set. Come and join in. And, but he keeps encountering all these folks who were the expected ones, who, who seem to, in their life and commitments, have said yes all along, but now that the feast is ready are saying no for all sorts of reasons. And especially in Luke's gospel that carries forward into the book of Acts, you can see how this gets translated to, and now go invite others in. And as we see in the book of Acts, that, that extension of grace, that inclusion of the Gentiles, and even to folks that first century Jewish Christians would never have imagined engrafting their life into, that, that grace gets extended and extended and extended out. We, we can see that in the parable. Some scholars, interestingly, debate whether the excuses in the parable are good or not. In fact, there's a whole list of scholars who think the excuses are frankly kind of lame and are intended to be lame. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, kind of expert on first century culture, a guy named Kenneth Bailey, who wrote a couple of wonderful commentaries on the parables, but he argues they are lame excuses. For example, the first one says, I bought a house and I need to go see it. And he says, even in a 21st century culture, we would recognize that's kind of a dumb thing to do, buy a house and you haven't even seen it yet, especially in a first century culture, you would never buy a farm or a field and haven't walked at every square inch of it, know where water's going to come from. In fact, Bailey argues anybody who bought a field would know how it's produced for the last several decades before they invested in it. Silly to think, I bought a field, now I want to go look at it. And it's even sillier, the second excuse, I bought five team of oxen and I need to go look at them. Bailey argues, listen, if you bought a team of oxen, you went and watched whoever owned them first, used them so that you make sure they, they were pulling together and that they were good oxen. You'd never buy them and then go look at them. And, and he even argues, even the guy who says, I, I just got married, I'm not coming. Um, that a good host would know, man, if a wedding just went on, I'm not going to plan my party on top of that. So some, some scholars argue that the, the excuses are kind of lame. Other scholars argue, actually, they're, they may be phrased in kind of lame ways, but they are legitimate excuses. That the concern of home and economic welfare, the, the concern of business and economics, the, even the relational concerns of our lives somehow begin to pull at us, and they're important, and they have their place in our lives. But whether we think of them as kind of lame excuses or really important excuses, here's the reality. These are people who've been invited to participate in the Lord's banquet, but something else has become a priority instead of that. And because of that, there are all kinds of empty seats around the table. If it's okay, I'd like to reflect with you just a few minutes on, I needed this parable this week. Um, and this morning, as I reflect on this parable personally, let me say that I feel caught between this week's parable and next week's set of parables. 
Last week, if you were with us, I may have confused you, but last week I, I talked about how oftentimes we ought to be caught between Matthew's parable of the talents and Luke's parable of the pounds. Are we supposed to use our gifts? Or are we supposed to say to the broken systems of the world, I can't do this? And the answer is yes. This week I feel stuck between this, the master's response in this parable and then next week, we're going to go to Luke 15, which is maybe the most famous series of parables there are. Luke 15 will be the story of the lost sheep, the, hundred, the sheep that wanders away and the shepherd leaves 99 and goes looking for the one, or the woman who loses a coin and tears up her house until she finds it, or most famously, this prodigal who leaves home, takes all of his inheritance and spends it in wild living, and the older brother who's kind of frustrated about it. But in each of those, we will see the warm-hearted response of God towards those who are lost. Are you with me? And so if you want sympathy, come back next week. Um, I want to reflect because I think we ought to feel stuck a little bit between 14 and 15. Because in many ways, the response of the host of this banquet is angry, is angry that those who should be participating are not. And those who even at some level affirmed that they would participate are not. And have become distracted by other things that are keeping them from participation in the banquet. Are you with me? As I was thinking about this parable, I was thinking a lot about Deb and I have been married 32 years. And, and between you and me, I think we're a really good ministry team. And part of that is because um, I'm so gifted. No, um, part of that is because that was a joke. I knew you would laugh. Thanks for laughing, by the way. No, the reason that we're such a good ministry team is I, th those of you know, I was raised in the church. I was raised with the tribe of Levites, everybody in my family. I, and so in ministry, I've always understood young people who were raised in the church and a little bit bored with it, right? I, I understood how to talk their language, how to reach to them. Many of you know, Debbie became a Christian 33 years ago, but she became a, or almost 34 years ago now getting off the wrong exit on the freeway and wandering into the church and really knowing nothing about what was going on, but sensing that God was speaking to her. And so she had this radical transformation, and probably prior to that, maybe had been to church a couple of times, but really all of this was new to her. And so it, when we got married and started ministering, especially to young people, we were a great team. I understood the church kids, and she understood kids who couldn't find Genesis and had never owned a Bible and all of this stuff was confusing to them. And, and I had a hard time speaking their language, but, but here's, here was the hard part for Debbie. I kind of understood church kids, but they made her mad. She's gotten over it a little bit. But they would, they would make her angry because not all of them, but oftentimes she would see young people who she felt like were raised around the table of the feast, who week after week received from the, the bounty of God's grace and goodness, who had been raised in families, some dysfunctional, but many of them with dysfunction, but also filled with love and grace of God, trying their best to be reflections of the mercy of God to each other, getting the opportunity, many of them, to, for Christian educations or or all of these 
surrogate moms and dads and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters who were loving them and encouraging them. And, and so for her, when she saw be, young people bored with that or walking away from that, you can understand it made her angry. Because her sense was, I wish I had had those things that you now found dis- find despicable. And I wish I had all of these years that I feel like I made wrong choices because I didn't have those things. I wish I had what you have. Are you with me? Now I know, and we'll get there next week. I know that not all Christian families are perfect. I know that churches are far from it. And as we'll see next week, sometimes we get lost not just because of our own we're going to take our inheritance and go, but oftentimes we're lost because of other people's hurt and neglect, and oftentimes the church and even Christians can be abusive to one another in the name of God and cause people to fall away from God's purposes. Come back next week. But I will say, this parable helped me this week because I'm, I'm teaching a class on John Wesley's life and theology right now, and it's not helping me. I like Wesley, and I like his theology, Diane. I'm fine with him. But it ticks me off when I read about him. All these people show up, and they got to figure out how to make space for him. And then Wesley can do the... Wesley could take these little classes and bands that he had, and he could put such strong requirements on them, and if they didn't do them, he kicked them out. Oh, my word. I was like, I can't do that. I live in this era, especially kind of post the last few years, where people's, even people who have said yes to this for their whole life, their whole habits have changed. So many other priorities in life. I'm really glad you came this morning, but I was really sad that there would be so many empty gray seats beside you. I feel like most of my ministry has been in an era where we're constantly sort of navel-gazing and wondering why all these young people who've had so, much, so many advantages are walking away from them. And I know that's not true for everywhere in the world. I know there are brothers and sisters today meeting, especially in the Southern Hemisphere, who are, who are begging for somebody to send them the empty seats that we waste every week. But I have to say, I kind of resonated with the, with the guy making dinner and the folks who'd said they'd come but aren't. And the reason the parable was helpful for me is because it doesn't dwell there very long. <laughs> for the response of the, one, the host who has made a meal that not very many people showed up for or anybody decides, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go look for folks who don't think they've ever been invited. And so go find those who for a number of reasons have been marginalized in life and who never thought they'd be invited to this kind of party. And the servant says, we did that already and there's still seats left. And then the Lord says, well then go. And it's fascinating language. Go to the highways and the byways. Go to the alleyways. Go to those places where people have been forgotten. And here's the coolest verb to me in the, in the whole parable. Go to those places and urge them. Some of your translations say, compel them. Because there's almost a recognition on the part of the the Lord of the banquet that you will encounter folks who will think, I will never be a person who's able to do that. 
nor would I ever be a person who anybody would think ought to be brought to that. So go and urge and compel and love and extend the mercy that brings them into the banquet, for there is plenty of room and plenty of food for them today. Are you with me? And so this morning, as we face this parable, I lament a little bit. Because I do know in a city like this, in a community like this, with such unbelievable rich blessings of the gospel, the truth is every seat in this place should be full today. But but that's okay. And not just here, but churches all around us. But that's okay. It breaks God's heart a bit. But more than that, these empty seats around us are a reminder as we go out into the world, as Danny was encouraging us this morning, to be on the mission of the God who goes to the highways and the byways to extend invitations, not to those (laughs) who've had it for a long time and it's been on the refrigerator, but they're not really that interested in it anymore. But those who never thought that the grace and love and mercy of God might extend to them. I wanna close with one of my favorite stories and I'm kind of in trouble because it means I'm gonna tell two Campolo stories in a week or back-to-back Sundays, but, and I've read it to you before. When I opened it this week, I found a bulletin from four years ago. But that was four years ago. I'm amazed it was that long ago. but it's one of my favorite stories. It opens a book that I think about every time we come to this parable because the title is The Kingdom of God is a Party. Tony says, I do a lot of public speaking and my work takes me to all kinds of places. Some of them are exotic and some of them are not so exotic. Sometimes I get Honolulu and sometimes Toledo, Ohio. If you live on the East Coast and travel to Hawaii, you know that there is a time difference that makes three o'clock in the morning feel like it's nine. If you know of what I speak, you will understand when I tell you that whenever I go out to our 50th state, I find myself wide awake long before dawn. Not only do I find myself up and ready to go while almost everybody else is asleep, but I find that I want breakfast when almost everything on the island is still closed. With this background, you should understand why at 3.30 in the morning, I was wandering up and down the streets of Honolulu looking for a place to get something to eat. Up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I mean, I didn't even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out, but it was the only place I could find. The big guy behind the counter came over and asked, what do you want? I told him, I said I wanted a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a, cup of coffee, cu- poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then grabbed the donut off the shelf behind him. Now, I'm a realist. I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around. But when everything is out front where I could see it, I really would have appreciated it if he'd used a pair of tongs and placed the donut on some wax paper. But as I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. 
It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman sitting beside me say, tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her quote-unquote friend responded in a nasty tone, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left, and I called over the fat guy behind the counter and asked him, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, does, he, does she come in here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday, I told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A cute smile slowly crossed his cheeks, and he answered with measured delight, that's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. This guy wants us to go in with them and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room all bright and smiley. She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind, and nobody ever does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. <laughs> it was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sing on one of the, sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake, and without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I, I mean, is it okay if I kind of, what I want to ask you is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, sure. That's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I, she asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. 
She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a Christian sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice and said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. (laughs) There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it, he said. I'd join a church like that. This morning, we find ourselves caught between the disappointment of a God who has set a table for us, a table that for some of us has become so familiar, we have lost its reality and sometimes begun to neglect its presence in our life. But we serve a God who's not frustrated for very long as much as God is full of steadfast love and mercy and extends that grace and extends that grace and extends that grace and invites us to do the same. This morning, as we were finishing our early morning service, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to pray a prayer that we pray almost every Sunday over the elements. And in just a moment, we're going to gather at the Lord's table. Some folks are going to come and help me in just a moment serve and, and would love for you to hang on to the elements. We will eat this meal together. A couple of things. We want to make sure everybody's included. And so um, the bread this morning is gluten-free. If that's a problem, this bread won't be for you. Um, if you're concerned, I know we're still kind of concerned about contagiousness and those kinds of things. If that's a concern for you, and, and if you're also hand, handling these small elements is difficult, as we're served, if you will raise your hand, some folks will bring some individual bread and cup to you and, and allow you to be able to do that. Uh, we want everyone to participate who needs God's grace today. But I want you, as I bless these elements, to hear... Um, to hear the prayer that we pray so often over them. The Lord's Supper was ordained by God to be a means of conveying grace according to the need of each person. No preparation is indispensably necessary other than a desire to receive the grace God pleases to give. No fitness or church membership is required at the time of communicating other than a sense of our state, of our utter sin and helplessness apart from Christ. The Lord's Supper is ordinarily the meal of the baptized to renew their baptismal covenant. 
In an extraordinary measure of God's hospitality, listen to this, the table is also open to all who are seeking God's healing and transformation. Therefore, no matter who you are today, if you want such grace as God pleases to give you, draw near with faith, and as you prepare to receive this holy sacrament to your comfort and strength, make your sincere confession to Almighty God. One of the prayers we pray is this. We thank you for sending your son. We praise you for the sacrifice that he offered as an act of love to you and the world on our behalf to take away the sins of the world. Hear this line. We thank you for opening your table to us, those on the outside. For we are now part of your new creation. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. God, I pray that this meal, though kind of small in quantity of food, would be a reminder of how rich in grace you are to us. Have mercy on us for so often being the folks who've RSVP'd and have received such richness from you in the past only to neglect you now. Have mercy on us. Open our eyes to the possibility of those who've never received an invitation to come and to celebrate at the Lord's table. For we have all been on the outside and we are all now your children. So make us the body of Christ today, we pray. Amen. I invite those who would come um, at this time to help me.
you, if you would, to hold the elements out in front of you. Let me pray a prayer of blessing. Almighty God, we hold in our hands very common things, bread and cup. Make them an uncommon means of grace to us today so that we may embody the grace that you have extended to us. May we be the body of Christ. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread He raised it, gave thanks, and broke it, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us take and eat this morning in remembrance of him. After supper was over, he took the cup and blessed it. Said, this is my blood poured out for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take, let us drink in remembrance of his grace to us today. May it be so, we pray. May we be the body of Christ. And God's people said, amen. Stand with me.
thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. So come all ye sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. We say, for God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us, whoever believes in him will live forever. So bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. We know for God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us sing this with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him 
God of peace himself may he sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, our soul, our bodies, may they be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who called us invited us to his great banquet. He is faithful. And he will not stop inviting and he will not stop working until that banquet room is full and until he has finished his work in us. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Go in his peace.